You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my astonishingly talented podcast partner, Lisa Schneer. How you doing, Lisa? No pressure, no pressure. What a setup, Carlos. Today, folks, we're going to be talking about sales and innovation. For example, some folks are saying that AI is going to be replacing key roles, such as the sales development rep. And I'm curious to discuss that and other topics with our great guests today. And we have someone who's an expert in this. We've got Gabe Lulo with us, who's the CEO of Alleyoop, which is a global leader in sales development as a service. As an agency that partners with the fastest growing SaaS and tech companies around the world, they're helping to facilitate their top of funnel lead generation. Gabe, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the show. Lisa, Carlos, thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Uh, big fan of you guys. And uh, thanks so much for asking me to come on. It's going to be great. The question that we ask all our guests at the beginning, what's something that you're passionate about, Gabe, that those that primarily know you through work might be surprised to know about you? So, yeah, I I am kind of an adventure sports kind of nut. I like going fast, so I'm really big into F1. We just came off the Vegas F1 race. I ride motorcycles, race dirt bikes and four-wheelers when I was young. I've always had motorcycles. I'm a big adrenaline junkie, like jumping on airplanes and all, all sorts of cool stuff like that. My daughter's 10, so I'm super passionate with getting her, not jumping out of airplanes. Yeah, we, we uh, are members at our local like uh, go-kart track, so we do uh, a bunch of racing and, and fun stuff like that. So that, that's something that I would say no one would know about me unless they ask or hang out with me at least. That's awesome. And so I got to ask, because adrenaline junkies like you, do you still have something on the bucket list that you want to do? Oh, that's a great question. Well, we did the airplane jumping out. My my wife was not excited about that idea, but I was more excited to get her to jump on. And that definitely took some sales training of mine that I've had over the years. So that was super fun. We really want to do like deep sea, you know, diving is, is the next thing on the list. Hopefully the sharks aren't there out that day, but uh, that's our next big uh, goal of ours. That's awesome. Carlos and I actually just did cage diving in South Africa. How was it? Was it amazing? Oh my gosh, so cool. Like, so, um, like, you're in awe, you know? Like, I think it just doesn't quite hit you that you're in the water with the sharks. Like, you're just kind of like, wow, this is so cool. And then you're like, this is a really bad idea. No. <laughs> well, for those who are not seeing the video and listening, as soon as I asked that, like, Lisa's face, like, lit up. And then Carl's just like, eh, not that. <laughs> so <laughs> we at least know who enjoyed it. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's this one little aspect of it so to get the sharks to come, Gabe, what do they put in the water? Chum, right? Well, when you're sitting in there and you're floating around and you realize, I'm covered in chum. What am I doing? I am a shark chicken nugget right now. So Gabe, tell us a little bit about your your career, your story there, um, how you ended up here, CEO of Value. I noticed you were there a few years back as director of people. Tell us, what's your story? So I got out of school you know, with an economics and finance degree, always wanted to get into business, get into sales. I was doing some great internships. I was actually was an SDR. It was my first job in New York City, doing internships for financial firms, you know, smiling and dialing, kind of very pursuit of happiness, if you will, kind of uh, concept. But 
it was right before 9-11 and then right after 9-11 is when I graduated. And so you now know my age, but the reality is, is like, it just wasn't happening. So I was going back to school to think about what I wanted to do and I didn't want to do that. So I started a business in recruiting and, and training. And so started a staffing firm essentially and recruited mostly salespeople at first, then moved into executive recruiting and uh, then moved into more training and recruiting for other companies. So traveled the country, always in and out of hotels, always on the road, great in your 20s. And then I was going to have a baby and you know got married and all that fun stuff. And so I said, I need something that's more inside, right? That's not me on the road all day long. And I found a company uh, that was started by two brothers, Chris and Steve Hayes. And and it was called Inside Sales Team at the time. So I said, wow, this is perfect. The actual name of the company is exactly what I'm looking for. And they were very small boutique inside sales function, full cycle sales reps. And it was right around the time when the SDR function was really starting to be born, really, and actually have a name attached to it, right? We always self-sourced. We always had appointment setters. But really, it was right around that time where like the, the tech companies were actually saying, oh, let's actually start a, a new role called SDRs. And that's when I came on board. And so with my recruiting and training background to really scale that function is, is what I was designed to do. We rebranded to Alleyoop and doubled down on the SDR function at that point. And we really moved all the way to the top of the company. I left on good terms because I wanted to get more into the SaaS space. So I became VP and GM of a, two software companies locally here that were doing some really cool things that I got excited about and got operations management under my belt of, of actually operating and managing software developers, which is very different than managing sales reps. And so after a few years of doing that, the founder of this company said that he wanted to work on some other projects and, and, and is looking to retire and asked me to come on and, and created a succession plan to take over as CEO. And that's what I've been doing over the last two years. And it's been awesome. Amazing. And so tell us the story behind the name Alleyoop. Yeah, Alleyoop, it's an interesting, if you're a basketball fan, you know what it is. If you don't, it's essentially the ultimate assist in basketball, right? So we don't take credit for the slam dunk. We're not the lights in the billboard, right? We are the ones that are setting up the sage. I always like to say we're the trailer to the movie. So the AE's job is to do the movie, to do the demo. The SDR's job is to set that up and, and to get it on, on the calendar, really at the perfect time for it to be successful. And if you look at an alley-oop in basketball, that's exactly what it is. You're throwing the ball up at the exact perfect time in order for someone else to come along and slam dunk it. And, and that's a success. And it's a really cool thing to see in basketball. And it's a really cool way to analogize what we do here as SDRs is, you know, we're white labeled, we're behind the scenes, you know, we're representing the brand that we're working with. And, you know, we're working with companies like Adobe and ZoomInfo, we're like, okay, no one knows it's alley-oop in the background, right? And we're setting those calls up, we're setting those demos up. And then the client gets the spoil, gets their name in lights, and lights, and, and it's the one slam dunking it. So that's why we're called alley-oop. Curious, as you were talking, why do organizations go out of house, I guess that's the word to use, you know, versus in-house for hiring SDRs like your organization? Yeah, it's really, I think, the the evolution of, of where they are within their stage of business, right? So a lot of founder-led sales companies come to us no differently than they would you know, hire an agency to do their accounting and hire an agency to build their website or hire an agency to go ahead and do their HR. So they want appointments and they need revenue and they need prospecting for that to happen. And so at a founder-led sales company like that, who are still trying to figure out product market fit, who's still trying to figure out what, you know, features they need to make this a robust product or service or whatever the program is, 
they want to really understand how to do it and they don't have the capital really to do it themselves and invest into it long term. So coming to an agency like us allows us to really do uh, programs that are going to hopefully get them th those results immediately. And then they can then in turn invest into it themselves. And a lot of the reasons why you go to an agency is to have an exit strategy, right? You want to eventually bring it in-house and we support that. And our clients, you know, we work with them to build them an actual in-house team eventually, and they can actually hire our reps. So one of the functions that we have is our reps are hireable, direct hireable to turn them into a AE for our clients one day long-term. And it works up other companies, as you mentioned, come to us for other reasons too, like Adobe, for a given example, they were launching Adobe Sign and trying to take market share from DocuSign back in the day. So they had all these reps and they didn't want to create turbulence with their existing teams. They wanted to target if, if this is an actual product that they could bring to market without turning their existing reps into you know, confusion. So those companies like that come to us and say, okay, we'll build you campaigns. We'll do specific things at a short-term basis. And then they can then take it to market and bring it in-house. Is there an internal like methodology or secret sauce that you guys do in-house to really make your SDR successful versus let's say, you know, someone else's? Yeah. What's unique is, you know, the average SDR, when you work on an in-house team, they're, they're around about 45% of them leave after 12 months. And so we tried to source the best SDRs in the world. We don't hire people that are net new and put them on a project that used to be a bartender two days ago, right? Which by the way, that was me. So I, I, a long time ago, so I'm not making fun of that. I, that's actually where I started. But the reality is, is like, we wanna hire the best in class SDRs. So it starts with the actual SDR. And so our reps know that this is what they're gonna be doing. We have a career path for them and it's very solid and they're comped very, very well. So they know they're gonna be here for a long time, if not many years. And usually when someone is hired at a company in-house, they're thinking about being an AE in two weeks. And usually that doesn't happen and they're trying to, they're then leaving. So one of the big secret sauces is our retention rate is so high because this is all that we do. And that is a really big uh, differentiator than trying to do it yourself from scratch. There's a lot of other things to answer that question, but I say that one's probably the biggest one that is super unique to agencies specifically. That's great. Because, yeah, obviously we we hear all the time about SDRs not having the opportunities to leap into sales directly from an SDR role, depending on, of course, the product and who they sell to. But imagine you're an enterprise level seller. You're not going to be promoted from an SDR into an enterprise level sales role. So it does become the question of, well, how long can we retain them? And what is that career path? Like, can we even facilitate that when you're talking about in-house teams? So definitely think that's a unique perspective. They know, it sounds like from day one, like this is your setup. And I think technology is really important too, because a lot of companies, you know, they think about hiring the SDR, but they don't know how to actually build an outbound function from a tech stack perspective. And there's a lot of technology out there and a lot of them only work well unless you have another piece of technology that works alongside it. So there's a lot of integrations that are really important. Like our technology is not proprietary when it comes to the vendors we use, but the way it's implemented, set up and integrated is proprietary. And that's what's unique, right? And it takes that takes a lot of time to figure all that out and do it for such a long time on all these different campaigns to really know, okay, any company on any program, any service, any industry, any vertical could come to me and we can pretty much within a matter of minutes know exactly what tech we want to attach to this to have a successful program. 
And so that is important too. And then, of course, looking at data as well. There's data providers out there that are good at some segments versus others. And to know that is super important. Yeah, and you've teed me up perfectly, Gabe, because uh, one of our topics of the day is, of course, AI, AI in sales. What does it mean? What are you seeing? Is your team leveraging it? 100%. So there's a lot of back and forth with AI. I think AI is the buzzword. I mean, I think it even made the political race right now, right? Like everyone's talking about AI, right? So we absolutely know that AI is, is here to stay. There's no way to put it back in the box. I don't have a magic eight ball telling you where we're going to be in five years, but I do know that you have to embrace it and you have to be excited about it and use it as a way to grow and scale and, and evolve. Do I think AI is just going to completely replace the SDR function? Not right now. Do I think it's going to displace some SDRs? hundred percent. And I think we have to use it as a way to just do our job more effectively and better. Some ways that we're using it is messaging. So we don't need five playbook writers like we used to, to build out a, a cadence and a playbook and emails and messaging because we can use AI to help write a lot of that. We have technologies that are allowing us to smart dial and AI dials to actually allow us to make more phone calls, to have better connections using AI. And of course, with email as well, there's a lot of tools that are, are coming out to allow us to have better email connections. So we're using AI to help increase the three, four channels that we use to connect with people more effectively. But what we're not doing is we're not making calls with an AI pert bot, if you will, sounding like another person and pretending to not be human. That's really, I think, where is not replaceable yet. And I think that's really what separates best in class SDRs who are high quality SDRs versus people who are just you know going through the motions and trying to get that low hanging fruit. So I think AI is actually forcing us to have better quality conversations. I think the economy is forcing us to do that as well because in the last three years, we're all realizing, wow, okay, we actually maybe are not as good as we thought we were because we were doing so great pre-COVID with the, you know, the downturn of the economy. So it's forcing tools to be coming out for training and for being more effective and role play tools that are AI based are really, really exciting right now that are coming to market. Getting our reps more effective on the phone are really, really cool. Uh, there's some specific tools that I'm excited about. You mentioned tools. Any recommendations for an effective tech stack for a successful SDR team? Because I got to tell you, we look at some organizations and when we ask them about their tech stack, it looks like a NASCAR slide. They got so many tools, they can't even spell them all. I call the tech stack of now when I look at companies, it's kind of like a Jenga stack, right? It's like death by subscription, man. You're about to topple over, right? Because of all of the things, like do you even know what you're paying for, let alone how to use it? And so that was us, by the way, a few years ago, we were like looking at this and like, I was just going through our income statement. I'm like, what the hell are we paying for? Like, why, why do we have, what is this? And so someone got us, right? Someone assigned us up for something and, and we just never took advantage of it. So we really just kind of scrapped it all out and threw it all away and said, okay, let's go back to basics. What's working? What isn't? What's effective? What isn't? And let's test everything. And so, you know, we did that with a data provider recently and we tested it and we said, oh, God, we can do this now. It's much less expensive and more effective. To answer your point, sorry, Carlos, there's two companies that I'm excited about. One is called Brevity. Brevity is an AI tool that allows you to do role play for your sales reps, which allows you to really train and also get your reps ready. I mean, Gong is great and Chorus is great for like what actually happened. But how do you take that feedback and put it into practice? And Brevity is a really cool tool to allow you to do role plays using AI. And it really saves up your manager's time to doing that 
coaching consistently. Another great tool is just Salesfinity, which is a parallel dialer that just came out. And uh, you may have heard of companies like Nooks or Orem. Like those are interesting. Some people don't love it because they feel it's spray and pray. And I think that's not more of the tool itself. It's more of the way the data is set up for the tool. Like you can use AI parallel dialers effectively if you're doing it across data that is relevant and, and really narrow it in. And so I think that's important too, and it'll save you a lot of time. Yeah, that's a, a big one is always the, oh, our phone numbers aren't effective or whatever. And uh, yeah, we hear that all the time. So what other uh, challenges are might affect a sales team when you're thinking about bringing in some of this AI powered? I think we all know that's still some security potential issues, but what would you say is your biggest piece of advice to keep top of mind as as companies evaluate tools like this? I think going back to the point like where you just, you test everything that you bring on. Don't bring on just because the AE said how cool it was. Like truly go through the free trial, go through the tool and, and test it. You may not have yet that ability because you have a small team, but you can still figure out ways to do that. You know, we bring on a tool and then we bring it to, before we bring it to market to our clients, we test it on our own brand. So we have a uniqueness where we can do that ourselves and figure out, okay, does it work for Alley-Oop's brand? You know, is this dialer effective for us? And if it is, I'm going to implement it to a client. So we have some uniqueness for us because we have that kind of testing ground and that ability, but anyone could really test it out before they, they really commit to it. I think that's the biggest thing you have to do right now because you'll end up having, like you said before, a slide of NASCAR logos when it comes to what your technology stack looks like. And so when you're working with a business, you're saying test, test, test. When you've got your clients asking you, what should we implement? I guess, is that part of the transition or like, does it just kind of come with the service? I think the biggest thing is your ICP. I mean, people just, they talk about it all the time, but what are they actually doing about it other than talking about it? And, and it all is revolving around that. So when you look at your ICP, ideal customer profile, you want to match the right data provider to that, not just the right data, the right data provider. You know, there's some data providers that are better at IT professionals than they are for sales professionals. They're better at enterprise than they are for SMB. They're better at, you know, marketing professionals versus, you know, HR. So you want to really know, okay, what is the best data for me? And ask those questions when you're searching for a data provider, figure out, get a litmus test of data. That's a test in itself without having to do anything about it other than figuring out, hey, this is the quality of data that I'm looking for my ICP. Then you determine what your channels are more, most effective and we can help with that. So is phone the most effective for this tool? I'll tell you, salespeople pick up the phone, IT people don't. I mean, it kind of common sense, but sometimes people don't think about that. They're picking up the phone because they think it's your customer or another deal or prospect. So if I'm going to contact a salesperson, I'm probably going to use phone as my main channel. And so you want to figure out what's the most effective channel for that specific ICP and then work backwards from there. Is your ICP and is your, you know, your product something that's more transactional, small ACV, and it's you know, very quick buys? You could probably put someone who's a little bit more junior on that and save some money on your bottom line for investing in an SDR. Are you selling an ERP system and it's a $250,000 annual reoccurring revenue? You're probably going to want someone who's a little bit more tailored and seasoned to make that first call. And you're probably going to need to spend a little bit more money up front on that SDR. So that's how you want to, I think, tailor it without having to do as much testing uh, up front if you, if you don't have that capability. Okay. I've got a kind of hot button topic here. 
So one of the things that we know can be a big challenge is handing the handoff. So from the SDR over to an account executive, and what does that qualification actually look like? So are you setting the guidelines? Are you working together with the client to set the guidelines? Because, of course, you don't want them kicking back all these leads saying these aren't qualified. Yeah, we actually have to work together on that, right? You're passing the baton. And I don't look at it as, oh, you know, we're passing the baton and each part is equal and important. If you're running a, a relay and there's two people running, the first part of the relay is just as important as the second. So that's how we look at it from an SCRAE relationship and handoff. So some of the things we do to provide good handoff is our reps are dedicated to our clients. We're not an agency where there's some out there. There's a pool of reps just calling on an ICP and sending over mud against the wall and seeing what sticks. Our reps are fully dedicated. So they're in line, in Slack channels, communicating daily with these reps and sharing best practices and literally saying, hey, that one complete, did this one go and you want me to get them back on the phone? So they're working truly in tandem as a tag team. And so that's super important when it comes to the handoff is they're working collectively daily already. So it's very casual almost at that point once they're running well together. Second, we have a lot of reps, our SDRs, literally getting on the call to make sure that the call happens. Say, hey, you know, Carlos, this is Lisa. Lisa will be your account executive. This is Carlos. Carlos and I had a great conversation two days ago and is really excited to talk with you, Lisa. And I know pricing was a big concern for him on our initial call. So enjoy the call. Let me know how it goes and I'll hop off. That's the SDR. And that's what it would sound like. And they would do that physically. Additionally, they would, of course, fill out the notes and determine before they're even making calls what is the qualifications that we need to make sure we hit on these calls. We usually write down five, and if we can get three out of five, we're excited, our client's excited. And then we figure out what those are and what those look like. And we sometimes push back. Some of our clients are like, we need to know if they have budget. I'm like, eh, that's not, you don't talk about that in the trailer to the movie, do you? Like, right? Like, if you're watching the trailer to the movie, are you going to say the ending in the movie and then the trailer? No, you're going to ruin the movie for somebody, right? So like we talk about and push back and, and not so it's easy for us, but so it's effective for us. That was the other hot topic this morning. We're talking about you know, that whole qualification criteria and how firm we stick to it, not letting sales be the dictator of whether they will or won't take a, you know, a lead. And then the other one was you know, using budget as a qualification on that first or second call is just crazy. Yeah, I actually had a client about two months ago who was upset because he was getting so many leads and he said that he wanted to narrow them down. I said, listen, that's not the way to go. We, I mean, we don't want to be talking about budget on an opening call. You know, this is about kicking the tires. It's about a meet and greet. It's about, of course, we want to know, are they the right person to be talking to? Do we want to know, like, is it a product market fit initially? Like there's obviously questions. We're not going to waste your time, but talking about money before you even get to the dance isn't the way to go. And I totally agree with that. Yeah, and it really limits your pool because I go, think about what you're saying. It means you only want to talk to people that have already started a process, have already put money aside. And odds are when you get to those folks, which sound good on the surface, we're late. We're late to the party. Someone else has helped got them to this point. Yeah, I mean, when I say, look, when you look at the SDR function, it's really a marketing function, sales and marketing, right? Marketing is known for throwing arrows against the wall to the sales team and saying, you can't close any of my leads. And then, yeah, and then the sales team is throwing arrows against the wall or, or, or over the wall and saying, hey, you're not giving me enough leads. And the SDR, I mean, actually, interestingly enough, 
our point of contact now more than ever before are CMOs. Usually it's been, you know, CSO, sales, VPs of sales. Now it's it's actually almost 50-50 where our client point of contact is, is the marketing function. And more and more of the SDR function is living in the marketing world. And I think that is needs to be more adapt, adapted to other companies because it really is a marketing function just as much, I would say, as it's a sales function. And we're actually training a lot of industries right now that don't even know. Like I actually was on a call this morning. I can't say the name, <laughs> but I was on a call this morning and the, the VP of sales didn't even know what the word, the definition of SDR was. They just called it something different, but SDR to them, and they're a huge company. They're not tech, they're not SaaS. So the SDR role is growing dramatically in all these other spaces that arguably not doing so well right now, quote unquote, like SaaS is that are adopting that, you know, staffing firms, insurance, financial advisors, manufacturing, huge, big ticket items, you know, airline, uh, you know, private jets are all coming to us saying, hey, we, we need prospecting to be done. We understand that this is not something that has to be self-sourced anymore by our, our sellers. No, that is because part of the topic we hear these days is, hey, the SDR rolls under pressure because everybody thinks, hey, down the line, we could automate this with AI. But the other side of the equation today is, hey, it's a great function, but guess what? Our sales reps got fat and lazy. They've lost that muscle to go prospect. I want them to build it up. So I'm going to invest less on the SDR role and expect my reps to prospect more. Are you seeing that trend out there or, or not? I'm really looking for your view on it because you're seeing it more than I am. Yes, but I think it's a bad move. I think it's not, it's not all or nothing. I think it's just Let's, let's take a look at a percentage. So I'm seeing a lot of companies right now is actually talking to one of, a, not a competitor, but the gentleman in our space, he's in Australia. And he, he wrote a great blog on LinkedIn and he was seeing the same thing I was and it just, he wrote it really well. Point being is that a lot of companies are firing all their AEs because again, to your point, they're not trained up, they're not leveled up, they're too expensive. They're used to low hanging fruit in the bullish market of 2009 to 2020, right? And so they're just not where they need to be and they're terminating them and they're accelerating those SDRs into their AEs and they're doing it at a better price point. And then the flip side is happening as well. We're noticing that, you know, they're firing all the SDRs and then they're having their, like you said, all the AEs starting to do the prospecting. And I think companies are dramatically doing one or the other for the same reason. But the reality is, is I don't think that it should just be one or the other. It should just be a percentage. Like AE should be prospecting more, sure. But 100% of the time, 50%, what, like, what is it? Do we see different tools being used to effectively streamline SDRs? Sure. You know, with a parallel dialer, you can 5X an SDR, pretty simply. You know, the, the Bridge Report came out this year saying the average SDR in-house was 40 outbound calls and 40 outbound emails. If someone worked for me and did that, they'd be fired in one day. And, and it's just like that, that would be unheard of on the metrics that we're used to, which is dramatic 5X. So I think with AI tools, you can scale back your SDR headcount and get just as more for less. And I think from the AE function, you can absolutely put more prospecting in their wheelhouse. But do you want them truly doing 100% of their day for prospecting? I wouldn't. I want them doing the demos and closing and getting contracts. So I would split it at least at the beginning, 80-20. 20% prospecting, 80% doing the demo and closing deals, and then scaling back your SDR, but not your output by using technology. Curious, you mentioned if they were doing only 40-40, 40 emails, 40 calls a day, you'd fire them. And I, I'm sure it depends based on industry and 
But curious, what should be the expectation? How much activity prospecting on a daily basis or weekly basis should we be seeing from SDRs? Our reps do 500 action items a day. And what would be an action item? Yeah, so it's 250 dials and 250 messages across whatever channel is most uh, relevant to that client. So usually it's 250 emails and 250 LinkedIn items on a daily basis. And we can use tools to scale that. By the way, before AI, it was less than that. But with AI, we can do more of it. So it's just not a matter of AIs replacing, AIs enhancing, right? So our callers are making 250 outbound dials per day against the right context and the right data. And they're doing approximately 200 emails with 50 LinkedIn actions per day with the tools we currently have. I'm laughing on the inside because I was just dealing with a client where their gold standard is $30 a day and their managers freely go, but we're not doing that much. You should be embarrassed. It should be embarrassing. A lot of people are saying, well, the SDR function is going to be replaced. Yeah, that's because your SDR is only email all day long, right? Like the reason why your SDR's email or should be replaced is, like I said before, a lot of SDRs who are not good SDRs, and it's not because of them. It's just the company, is that's what they're expecting from them, right? So if an SDR team is only emailing all day, we see what's going on with the outreach announcement. We see what's going on with AI. We see what's going on with the spam, you know, filters. Like, yeah, that I wouldn't have a team at all doing that. Um, but if you're looking to really get traction, our phone is still the number one weapon in the toolbox. And so I agree. So we mentioned talent and for our listeners, I think finding, attracting top talent and getting them in a position and you come from a hiring perspective. So any ideas or insights on how do I find the best talent, attract them, train them up and keep them? Yeah. I mean, my recruiting head always says, always find passive candidates. A passive candidate is somebody who isn't looking for a job, right? Who's actively looking. Now, I know that's misnomer right now because there's a lot of talent out there that are being displaced for no fault of their own. And I think there's a lot of talent out there that you can absolutely attract if they are looking for work. But the old adage of a, as a recruiter, you know, the best candidate is someone who isn't looking because they're probably really good at what they currently do, right? So putting on the ability, having the ability to source candidates who are ready, very good at what they do, that is, of course, my favorite way of bringing people into the company. Our advantage is we comp people really, really well, but more importantly, our culture is phenomenal. So we have a fully remote company. We have a lot of incentives and we also tailor comp plans. I think this is something that especially companies who have smaller teams, of course, most are smaller than us, right? When it comes to their in-house team. And so tailoring a comp plan is not hard to do for a three to five person SDR team. And it will pay you huge dividends for not only attracting, but also retaining those reps. And how do you do that? You just find out what people are excited about. I mean, I got a guy right now who is crushing the phones to, to win a 60 inch plasma or a flat screen television. And he told me that's what he wanted. I have another individual who's crushing the phones because they want to buy a ring for his, his, his girlfriend and get married. You know, and, and so it's either money, it's prizes. I have one who's a stay at home mom with mom of five, kids and she's crushing the phone so she can have more PTO for birthdays. You know what I mean? So it's like, we're going to give you more PTO if that's what you want. We're going to give you and buy you prizes if that's what you want. We're going to help fund things for you financially if that's what you want. So we truly incentivize, not the whole comp plan, but portions of their comp plan incentivized and tailored for the reps. And you're going to attract people and keep them if you do it that way. 
I love that. Well, we could keep you going all day, Gabe. So uh, so want to wrap up, but I wanted to ask a question because uh, we don't always ask this, but I always find it an interesting one. And this could be personally or professionally. What would you say is one of the biggest mistakes you've made along the way that if you could go back and redo it would change your life? So I had a partner when I first started and it was because of, you know, I needed money. I was young, right? I needed a partner and the partner financially supported the business in the beginning stages. And then I realized that we, you know, I was, again, talk about percentages. I was doing 90% he was doing 10. At first it made sense financially, but towards the end of the partnership, it was just not a smart move for me anymore. And I wish I didn't stay in that partnership for as long as I did because I'm loyal to a fault. I don't know just how I am. And so I think if it's not working, do what your best to fix it. And if it's still not working, do something different. And that was my biggest learning lesson, I think, in my professional career is to really find people and partner up with people because I don't think you should just do everything by yourself. I definitely live in partnerships. But I always say find the partner after you know you're working with them for a while and test them out and that i think will uh, make you more successful long term great advice so we do have another question for you that we call our acceleration insight so if you could give another big piece of advice to our listeners to help them to crush their quotas this year what would be the one thing that you would you would say yeah, I always say make up in numbers what you lack in skill. The sales is a numbers game. And yes, I know this may be a little generic, especially if you're an experienced seller. But the reality is, is if you're starting new or you're starting over or you're starting a new position, like, yeah, I always say never measure yourself up against other people, but that's a good starting point. You know, look at the people who are in that position, look at the other sellers who are around you and see what they're doing. And if it's 30 emails a day, then, you know, who's 60? But I hope it's not. But, if you know, do twice as much of the activity metrics that you're seeing people do around you and you'll make up in the numbers what you lack in the skill. And as a result, your skill set will get dramatically increased and accelerated to your point. And then you could be more lethal as, as the bell curve kind of comes down. And so I think that's what makes the most amount of sense. I had a guy who started, he was making 400 outbound dials a day on the Zoom Info project many, many, many years ago. And his goal was to get four meetings a day. But over time, and he did, but over time, he was able to do 30, 60, 70 calls a day and get the same result. And it was because he made up in numbers in the beginning on what he lacked in skill, but the skill then balanced out. Well, Gabe, if any of our listeners wanted to talk to you more about uh, any of the topics we covered today or, or of course, learn more about Aliyup, what's your preferred method of communication? LinkedIn. I'm hyper-responsive on LinkedIn. I post every single day, Monday through Friday on LinkedIn, and we're very responsive there. So that'd be a great way to connect with me directly. And if you ever need to connect with me business-wise, our website, aliup.io, is a great source as well. Cannot thank you enough for your time today, Gabe. We know how valuable it is, and it's been great having you on the show. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks, Gabe. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share this episode with your family, your friends, your dogs, your colleagues. And you can subscribe through YouTube, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please do us a favor and throw us a five-star review on iTunes. I am Lisa Schneer. I am joined by my never-boring podcast partner, Carlos Noche. And until next time, we wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.